0: authors on the air i'm your host pam stack we're proud to be part of the authors on the air global radio network welcome to love and podcast in the time of coronavirus i hope that you are all well sheltered in place and are reading and listening to podcasts which to me is the most uplifting thing to do right now when we really can't go anywhere uh, tonight is a very special in conversation exclusive broadcast. My friend and author Tim Molini is my guest host. Let me tell you a little bit about Tim. He's the author of the award-winning Kate Weathers mystery series and the best-selling comedic thriller Jump, which the Boston Globe called Hilarious and Publishers Weekly described as a perfect blended cocktail of escapism. I know this to be true because when Tim was on not too long ago talking about bo- boxing the octopus, we left ourselves silly. Um, his short fiction appears in several major anthologies, and he's won the prestigious McCavity Award for Best sh- Story of the Year. Booklist says the Cape Weather's mysteries are smart, snappily written, energetic mysteries starring an engaging hero um tim started writing crime fiction when he moved to san francisco near chinatown i'm sure he gets a lot of inspiration from there he currently lives in new york with his remarkable wife and his two kick-ass daughters um he's working on his next novel a screenplay and a book for ya i'm thrilled to introduce your guest for tonight tim molini hi tim welcome
1: thank you pam thrilled to be here and thanks for giving me the reins i'll try not to mess this up or drive us into a ditch. Oh, uh, I think you're going to do great. Well, uh, <laughs> ask me again in 20 minutes. We'll see how it's going. Okay.
0: Have fun. I'm going to go be your technician now.
1: Fair enough. Thanks so much, Pam. All right, everybody. I am about to introduce and talk with a brilliant writer and good friend, J.T. Ellison. I'm going to give you her bio, and then we're going to dive right into an author-to-author conversation. Uh, J.T. Ellison began her career as a presidential appointee in the White House, where a nuclear physicist taught her how to obsess over travel itineraries and make a seriously good pot of Earl Grey, spawning both her love of loose leaf and a desire for control over her own destiny. J.T. became jaded by the political climate in D.C. I can't imagine why. And she turned (laughs) to creative writing. More than 20 novels later, uh, 20 novels, absolutely remarkable she is an award-winning New York Times and USA Today best-selling author, millions of books in print, published in 28 countries and 16 languages. JT is also the Emmy Award-winning co-host of Award, Award on Words, a literary interview television show, and she's also the co-author of the of Brit in the FBI series with Catherine Coulter. She lives in Nashville when it comes to Mastreras, sometimes dogs, but usually cats. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, J.T. is a genuine literary badass, and if it were up to me, I would send her back to the White House as the next president. Uh, And I encourage you, if you're not happy with any of your choices this November, that J.T. would make an outstanding writing candidate. Just hold that in the (laughs) back of your head while we talk about books. With that, I will say hello to J.T. J.T., how are you doing? I'm in
2: hysterics. That would be – that's hysterical. It's good to be with you. It's not my my worst idea. It's
1: not a horrible idea, J.T.
2: Oh, I don't know. I don't think we need the mantle of, of leadership on the writer's shoulders.
1: All right. All right. Let's talk I have about. I too books. much imagination. Let's stay, <laughs> stay we'll, we'll stay away from politics for now. Um, let's talk about, um, I want to talk about you as a writer and how you write and kind of talk about some of the things we've, we've riffed on in the past about why mysteries, but first let's talk about your latest good girl's lie, which is an absolutely riveting book. Um, and that's not just my opinion. Publishers Weekly gave it a starred review, called it a high-tension thriller uh, book page. I love their entertainingly twisted coming-of-age tale. So talk a bit about that. How did this book come about, and what is it about?
2: Okay, so Good Girl's Lie is uh, set in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia at a school called Good. Good is with an E in the, in the book. And Ash Carlisle, who is this uh, very precocious teenager who has been recently orphaned, has to go there and navigate a new world, a new life, Uh, all of these teenage girls. This is not, though, a YA book. This is an adult book. It's got adult themes. It's got adult situations. And I wanted to explore the idea of a teen going from revered to reviled, and that's what happens. She gets there, everything on the surface looks good. She's trying to fly under the radar. She just wants to do her work. This is an opportunity, and she recognizes it. But, of course, she comes to the attention of the head girl, and things go from there as female relationships unfold, and sometimes they unfold well, and sometimes they unfold in all kinds of terrible ways and everything's going well until people start to die. It is a thriller. It's, so. <laughs> it,
1: it, as I said, it, it's, uh, it's riveting. Uh, if I may, I want to read just the opening uh, and hopefully I, I won't butcher it on this podcast, but um, I, I want to talk to you a bit about the openings of your books. But first uh, let's talk about Good Girl's Lies. So chapter one, The Hanging the girl's body dangles from the tall iron gates guarding the school's entrance. A closer examination shows the ends of a red silk tie, peeking out like a cardinal on a winter branch, forcing her neck into a brutal angle. She wears her graduation robe and multicolored stole, as if knowing she'll never see the achievement. It rained overnight, and the thin robe clings to her body, dew sparkling on the edges. The last tendrils of dawn's fog lays about her legs, which are five feet from the ground. That's Absolutely remarkable because you have so much in that one paragraph, as well as just jumping right into it. You can see every pixel in that in that scene, and it conveys, obviously, this is a thriller. This is going to be a mystery, uh, but it, it's filled with regret. It's feel, filled with, uh, um, you almost feel the backstory spring-loaded like a bear trap just in that one paragraph. So I want to ask you, talk to me about the openings of your books and how much you obsess over those.
2: <laughs> I obsess over them. I absolutely do. It's, you know, if you don't, if you can't capture somebody on the first line, then, you know, you're in trouble, right? I always like to start with a bang. I want to set the scene. I want to set the tone. I want to, you know, introduce as much as I can So you've got an idea of exactly what you're in for, and and to start a book, you know, set at a girls' school with a, a girl hanging from the gates. I mean, clearly you know what you're getting into. But this one, I, I it was so incredibly strong in my head. So I wrote it like a screenplay. I wrote the opening chapter as a screenplay, just so I could hit all of the notes, all of the beats, and make sure that it genuinely came to life when you read it and and that's something I've not done before but it's something I'm doing now because I think it's really a good exercise in how to set the scene
1: see that's really interesting because I always feel like I'm writing whether it's it's a you know it's it's a chapter that's overtly about action or if it's it's a more intimate moment, I'm always trying to visualize and block out the scene and think about where is the camera. And I was going to ask you about that because your books are very visual and yet everything's moving. There's always movement. So are you writing to something you're seeing? Are you working off an outline? or Are you more of an organic writer who has a triggering event and then just goes for it?
2: I'm, I'm an organic writer, and I do. I love that. I have a triggering event, and then I go for it. I see something. I see I see characters talking. I see, you know, the dialogue. I see the movement wow. in how they're interacting with each other. And that's what kicks off a scene for me. And if I can't see those, then I have a really difficult time because, you know, if I can't, if I can't envision it, obviously the reader won't be able to as well. But I do like to just kind of jump in and go. Uh, sometimes I have an open, like, like I did with this one. Sometimes I don't, and I start elsewhere and come back to the open. Um, I spend a lot of time on the first 25,000, a lot, and that's the first 100 pages. I, I would yeah. you know, say it takes six months to write a book, five months of that is going to be on that first 100 pages.
1: And the last – Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think once you get the 100 pages – yeah, exactly. Once you get the 100 pages, then the rest, you're, you're kind of racing to a thing that you're starting to see. It's starting to take shape out of the fog, but up till then, it's it's still a little bit too loose. So with right. an idea like the premise for this book, uh, talk a bit about having the idea or saying to yourself, okay, I want to do a thriller based at this girl's school. How long are you carrying that around while you're working on something else? How long are you carrying that around in your head and going back and forth about whether it's the, the, the underlying motive, the plot, the characters, the opening, weeks, months, until you actually start putting pen to paper?
2: Well, this one, this one was different. I, I was going to take three months off. I, yeah, I kind of burned out. I mean, I've, I've written now 20, you're saying 20, I'm actually up, I'm working on my 25th. Um, wow. And I burned out a little bit, and I really just wanted to take a breath step back. I've been going really hard, two books a year for 12 years, and I really just wanted to, to take a breath. I was watching International House Hunters. This was in June. I was watching International House Hunters, and the, the couple went to Surrey, England, so he could teach at an all-girls boarding school, and they showed it, and it looked so much like my college. I went to Randolph-Macon Woman's College in Lynchburg, Virginia, and the, the red brick wall, I mean, the this, this school in Surrey had a red brick wall. I was like, oh, I looked at my husband and I said, I have always wanted to write that book set there. He says, well, why don't you? I'm like, because I'm taking three months off. And <laughs> he was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and so I made some notes. But, but it was nothing amazing, just, you know, just on a note. And I'm, I did a blog and said, hmm, I would love to write a boarding school mystery. And everybody always says. Don't write about boarding schools, don't write coming-of-age novels, and don't write about writers, okay? Those are the rules, right? Those are the rules that have been handed to me. So the minute I start thinking I'm going to write a boarding school book, I started warring with myself because I've been told not to do that, (laughs) you know? Right, right. At one point, you know, you just have to say, well, I'm not going to listen to you. To hell with you. I'm going to do what I want, uh, but I didn't. I, I, I was working on a, a Catherine book at the time, and we were getting ready to go to England for a vacation and uh, to meet up with her, actually, for, for a couple of things. And it was on the plane on the way over. I was reading a yoga magazine, and the name popped out at me, Ash. And then the next page, they were doing a story on Belinda Carlisle. And I was like, Ash Carlisle. I'm like, oh no. I just came up with a character because she she just became in my in my head. She just immediately when I had that name, that was it. And so I made some notes that's been, on the plane that's and fantastic. Then we went to Oxford and I did all the research and I came back and I was like, Well, I guess I'm gonna write this book and I started it in November and finished it in March.
1: It was a quick this is one. the great thing about plane rides, right? Oh it's, yeah. it's uh, with with you know, with uh, all the distractions at hand and in our pockets and everything else, there's not enough daydreaming left in the world. So it's, it's sometimes good to be stuck on an airplane and, and uh, have a magazine or something else in your hand. Uh, talk, it talk changes, to about the, it 25 the books. Oh, it does. It absolutely does.
2: Absolutely. So 25
1: books in, which is remarkable, right? So talk a bit about what, uh, what you're doing differently um, in terms of what you've learned, because, I mean, let's face it, two books a year – I'm sure a lot of our fellow writers uh, uh, give you dirty, dirty looks when you say you can write two books a year uh, because that's, you're incredibly prolific, and I've, I've always admired that. But you somehow keep it fresh, and I know you've done series and standalones, but what, what's still hard, and what have you kind of gotten down after 25 books now as, as a routine? Yeah, I'll be perfectly honest. Every time I
2: sit down, I forget how to do it. And I have to spend a month trying to figure it out. I'm like, every time I sit down to write a book, it's the most insurmountable mountain in front of me. I haven't trained, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like trying to hike Everest in Street. you know. That's what it feels like. And I don't know why that is. I, I, you would think, you know, the only thing that I do know is I have to have faith that if I write a thousand words a day, I will have a book. So I, the first thing I always do is that I I work in Scribner. So I set up my targets and I have, you know, here's when I need my deadline. And I always back that up a month so that I can, you know, try to have a little cushion. And I figure out how many words a day I need to write to meet that goal. And that's what I do. And whether they're good words or bad words, they're words. You can't edit a book that's not finished. She says, in the midst of editing a book that's not finished. <laughs> you know, I forget my rules. I, I make all these rules, and then I forget them and throw them out. And, you know, struggle just like it's my first it, time.
1: No, it's, it's funny because every writer I know, whenever you talk to them about it, yeah, it, it never stops being hard or, or it never stops being intimidating. And I was in this great conversation with a number of writers, some of whom, you know, are, you know, 30, 40 books in, and they were talking about how hard the middle of a book is and, and that moment of blind terror about, okay, are you going to connect the dots? Is the plot going to come together? And I'm not sure that feeling ever goes away. I'm not sure that paranoia ever goes away. But as you said, no. unless there's something, unless there's a ball of clay for you to work with, uh, you're just staring at a blank page, and there's nothing more, more terrifying than that. It's, it's so true.
2: It's so true. And, you know, every book is different. Some books are easy. Some books are hard. So, you know, no book is ever easy, but some of them come together uh, more more simply than others. You know, the, the beginning, the through lines are there. They're able to see where the path is going to take you. And sometimes you're just in a jungle and there's no, there's no discernible path and you just have to hack your way out. I hate outlines. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. They take all the fun out of it for me. <laughs> But it's when I get into the jungle books and I start outlining, and it's like, all right, here, what can I do? What can I do? And the more I outline, you know, the harder it actually gets for me. But at least I can find a path. Um, but, you know, every book is different. I try to honor that because, if you know, I'll have a book that takes me four months, and then I'll sit down thinking, Haha, I'm going to write this book in four months, and it takes ten. It just, you know, I don't know. There are no rules. There are no rules it, it,
1: It's funny about the outlining I, I know a few uh, gifted writers who are outliners But a lot of the folks in the mystery world uh, Don't outline they, they think about that triggering advantage They get the character in their head And they just start writing They just right. you know, they call it organic writing or, or panting um, I, once, I once heard uh, the, the, the great And, and sadly late uh, Donald Westlake talk And he said that uh, Of all the books uh, that he had, or all the stories that he had, uh, he'd only outlined one, and, and that was the book he had never finished.
0: And uh, <laughs> I,
1: thought was, I thought that was great, because he described it as writing is telling yourself a story. And I think there's truth to that. I think you can keep it surprising and keep it fresh if it's surprising and, and fresh to you. And you're just turning the pages because you want to know what happens next. And I, I think the readers can feel that. Yes.
2: Yeah, no, and, and if I'm surprised, the reader will be surprised. And that's, yeah. you know, the, the, that is absolutely 100%. Now, you were asking about series and standalone. The writing process is completely different for each of them. You know, a series, your world is built, so you're just plugging in a plot and, and you know, registering the, the way it affects your characters. But a standalone, you have to create the entire thing from scratch. You know, characters and setting and story, and char- they're much harder for me. I like you know. So talk, I like so, what I'm so not talk doing about that obviously. when you say it's
1: <laughs> right. Well, talk a bit about that when you say it's much harder because clearly you've you've gotten in and out of series and standalone, and and yeah. all of your books have gotten great reviews. The the standalones, you know, if I look at Lie to Me, Good Girls Lie, I mean, these a couple of the reviews have talked about you know these being breakout books, but you've been able to flex a different muscle or, or try out a different voice clearly in those talk a bit about just how that helps you as a writer coming in and out of worlds that to your point you know plugging in a plot but keeping continuity that's not easy that's that's no small thing but it must be a little bit liberating to uh, also jump into a standalone and say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna world build just for this moment and it's it's a self-contained thing that people can take home with them and exposure to the writing, and then maybe try something else.
2: This is true. I mean, it's, I don't know. I've found it – I've got a lot of friends who write standalone who can't – they're like, oh, I want to write a series, but I have no idea how to do it. And I'm more on the I know how to write a series. I have no idea how to write a standalone. And I don't want to write the same book over and over. I mean, I, I do. The essence of my my theme, I guess, my overarching theme is – you know, something horrible happens. I <laughs> that would pretty much be guaranteed that something horrible is going to happen. Other than that, you know, I, I switch it up with points of view. That's that's the thing with the standalones that you can do that you can't do in a series. I mean, once you're in a point of view in a series, it, it's better to stay there. I mean, I remember when Lee Child did a first-person Jack Reacher, and everybody was kind of like, what?
0: <laughs>
2: this, is, this is right." Different. You know, it's it was wonderful. It's a great book, but it's different. So, you, you know, your reader has an expectation when you're doing a series. But a standalone, you know, you can be in first person, third person, present tense, past tense. You, you can move around and and be a little omnivorous with your point of view. And that, that really, that's how you can keep the voice fresh. That's how you can keep the topic fresh. You know, there's only seven thoughts, right? There's only a few a few ways to tell a story, you have to utilize all the tools and, and what works for your voice. And that's where I struggle because I'm very comfortable in, in close third, close third past tense. That's all my series are in close third past tense. And my standalone, you know, I start having first persons. And Good Girl's Lie is the first one that my main character was a first person character. And, wow, that was a challenge for me. It was it was incredibly challenging, and that's you know I like to set
1: a challenge and try to meet it. Yeah, I think changing perspective is really it's it, it is a challenge. It's it's funny because I write in third person close as well, yeah. And I like being able to shift around the different points of view and get the intimacy that brings and the attitude you can bring into the writing because you start to feel the character before the dialogue happens, and it's 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 just very visceral. But in short stories, I have played around a lot with. With first person and to your point it's a, it's a different challenge it's a, it's a different kind of puzzle um as far as your overarching theme something horrible happens i'm not sure that the theme so much as a life outlook and a, and a healthy <laughs> degree of, of paranoia um what i love about mystery writers is their friends and family when they first finally reading start reading their stuff i i'm sure this has happened to you they, they look at you after reading the book completely differently like so that's so that's what's going on in that head of yours. That's that's what you're thinking about.
2: Oh, you know, my mom like always a like, nice "I raised, you, school. So well. I I raised yeah, exactly. you so well. I said I raised you so well. Why?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a
1: that's a lovely school, and you're going around killing people. What the hell is wrong with you?
2: Yeah, what is happening to you? Yeah, no, it's, you know, our imaginations. We are only limited by our imagination when we are sitting down to the page, and um, and that is you know i I can find the worst case scenario pretty much
1: out of anything it's a talent it is a talent it is a talent what's interesting about that though is if you think about why mysteries and thrillers and it's one of the things I want to ask you about in terms of why, given your background and your your penchant for creative writing, you know why mysteries but if, if you look at how incredibly popular mysteries have remained for so long and Uh, you look at bestseller lists and and the number of books that fall into that category or historically, I mean, you, you look at hell, Shakespeare, uh, one murder mystery after the other, uh, or one thriller after the other in terms of the underlying plots to films, you know, like Hitchcock, there's something amazing when you put ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances, which is something I think you do really, really well because you're so character driven that gets at this, moral compass we all have and raises a lot of questions. And what's interesting to me is other genres can take you places and certainly from an escape standpoint can, can be amazing, but there, there's something reflective and uh, personal about, about mysteries. And you see this in the mystery uh, fans in terms of why they keep coming back to the genre. So talk a bit about why you chose that, or did you back into that or did you try other things? Did you write other kinds of books? Why, why this?
2: No, I've, I've been in crime fiction from, from the beginning. I, I think it's interesting to examine how people react in, in the worst-case scenario, right? It, crime fiction doesn't work unless something terrible has happened. unless there's a crime, there's, there's a murder, there's some sort of kidnapping. I know Harlan Kevin doesn't like to kill people. He likes to kidnap them because then there's some hope. If they're missing, then there's hope, right? He's an optimist. Well, I, he's an optimist. I, I'm not. Um, I'm perfectly fine with you know littering the book with bodies if it's needed for the story. I don't like to sensationalize it at all. But you know that's Right. It, it, right. It's, it's absolutely uh, a it's a kind of a bizarre little thing that happens in crime fiction. You have to kill somebody for it to really work. It, it doesn't have to be a serial killer. You can bomb a mall and have just as much tension and fear, and Alex Kaba taught me that. Um, but it's, it's really kind of interesting how, yeah, I love crime fiction. I've always loved crime fiction. I was reading John Sanford's Prey series when I decided I was going to try my hand at writing a novel, um, and, and it just came naturally, just having this, Crime situation, cops, profilers. I'm fascinated by the horrible things people do to each other. I'm curious about what happens when somebody walks inside the house and shuts the door. You know, my poor neighbors.
1: (laughs) (laughs) God God knows what your neighbors are up to, right?
2: You know, I, I, I had an afternoon not too long ago that, you know, uh, the kid wasn't supposed to go and he was home from school and some stranger came to the door and I'm like, oh my gosh, there is an assassin here to kill the kid. <laughs> That's not what's happening, obviously, you know, <laughs> I'm just, I just, you, you never know. There's a, a lot of weird, life. weird
1: stuff happening in Nashville, I'm sure. Oh, I
2: mean, it's Nashville, Nash Nashville.
1: Vegas. It's Nashville. It's Nashville. Talk about your you, – you mentioned uh, a couple of other writers, but when you were getting into this and, and even before or even now, uh, who do you like to read and, and what have your, your influences been? Uh, because to your point, there's, there's some um, common themes that always emerge in the novels, and invariably you start to identify a bit more with the, the people you like to read, and, and I think you can learn a lot from that.
2: Absolutely. Well, I mean like I said, I was reading Sanford when I started writing. Uh, John Connolly, Tammy Hogue, Tess Garrison, Lee Child, Lisa sure. Gardner, Allison Brennan. I mean, I could literally I could go on and on and on. Um, but these were my these were my models. These were the people that I read, that I loved, that I absolutely wanted to emulate. And and that's what I did for a number of books and then I started I started reading different things, bigger things, and started trying bigger stories. And, and it's just, you know, it's an evolution that I think everybody needs to, to go through to elevate their craft. I'm always trying to elevate my craft. And so I'm always reading the best of the best so that I can do that, so I can find out what, what they think is important to a story. And that's, you know, that's how I learned to write. I, I literally took Mind Pray and I deconstructed it down to the page, you know, down to the line. Who comes in? What do they say? What do they do to try to figure out the, the beat and the rhythm of the story? I had no idea that there was, like, the hero's journey and all of that. I had written five books before I had even heard of Vogler. <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah. you know, there, there is a certain, there's a certain rhythm to crime fiction. And my voice lends itself to it. And, and so I, I try to take advantage of that.
1: That's fantastic. I, I think this notion of deconstructing, you know, books and, and films, and to your point, figuring out, okay, why do things happen in that sequence? I, I teach at this writing conference every year. And one of the things that you see a lot of first-time writers is The on-ramp to the actual story is, is too long, and they can cut all that. It's important they know that. It's important that they know the characters so well. But you look at crime fiction, and you start right in the middle of what's happening, and there's movement thereafter that never slows down. And things don't always happen in a linear sequence, because that's not necessarily how a plot unfolds or how clues are discovered. And people under pressure make mistakes or do stupid things or get upset, get violent. And the nonlinear nature of that, you don't think about it when you're reading, but when you sit back and deconstruct and say, wait, how did they do that? You realize that the pieces aren't in that straight line order. You might've thought when you're, when you're going down to write them yourself.
2: And that's all the best books start in media rest. I mean, they just, that's how I want, I want to be kicked into the story. I don't want to ease my way, in. I don't want to come and knock on the door and wait for somebody to come to it and open it. I literally want to be thrown through the door and break it open, and and boom, now you're there. And that's what I always, always try to
1: do. One of the things, you talked about influences. One of the things I learned from Lee Child was write every book like a standalone, even if it's part of a series. And most people discover writers four or five or even six or seven books in to their literary career so they may pick up a book that looks interesting they might pick up your latest and then like it and then go back and oh what else has she written and then they discover the series or they discover something else and I think that's an important reminder too even when you're working within the construct of a series how much do you carry forward or how much is that plot going to stand on its own right absolutely
0: it has to
2: it has to stand on its own um, it, when, I, when Lie to Me came out, a lot of people read that book that had never, A, never hurt me, B, wouldn't read me because I, my Taylor Jackson books are pretty dark. And I was at uh, SEBA, and I was talking to a bookseller. She's like, no, I can't read you. You, you scare me. I'm like, no, trust me. You can read this book. I, it's, it's not scary. This isn't a scary book. And she's like, yeah, no, I don't trust you with that. And I'm like, but it's true. So a lot of people came, came to me with lie to me that had not read the earlier books and are now going back. And it, it is, it's very important to have those books, the one, I only have in the Taylor series two books that are connected enough that I suggest you read 14 before you read So Close the Hand of Death. But other than that, they all can stand alone and I think that's really, really important because you never know when somebody's gonna get the entry point.
1: So exactly. what, what are you working on now? <laughs> yeah, oh, no doubt. No doubt. I'm, what are you what are you what are you up to now? I'm
2: working on the book that's killing me. It is uh, it's called The Dark <laughs> Long. It is I, Say I'm, the Say I'm, the title again. It is um, it's about a destination wedding that goes dreadfully wrong. Of course, my A plus B equals C. Um, and it is it's just been a really difficult book. Good girls was a was a difficult book to write, but it happened very quickly. This one I have been working on for months. It feels like months and months and months and months, and it will not work. But I think it's finally working, which is great. And uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'll be able to give it to my editor and, and let her start getting into it. But it's, it's been a, it's been a challenge, uh, you know, and like I said, some books are easy and some books are like pulling teeth out of rocks. And that's what this one's been. It really, <laughs> it's been a challenge. It's I love the premise. Humbling.
1: I, I, I okay. love the premise of a destination wedding gone wrong, though. That's uh, that's fantastic.
2: It is, it is fun. I mean, it's, it's fun, and, and I think crime fiction is fun, which is a little bit twisted. But, it's, you know, I love the premise. I, I like the, my setting, and, and I like everything that's happening. It's just been a difficult book to write. And it's, it's the first time I've written a book in a setting that I've created out of whole cloth. I normally have my books set in places that I've been. And this one is an amalgamation of several places that I've created because I wanted something to happen. And it's, it's been a challenge, and I'm never doing that again. <laughs> Sometimes you learn your lesson, right? Okay.
1: Well, you can say you did it. You, you climbed okay, the mountain, and now you want a little oxygen. So you're coming back down.
2: Right. That's fair. Once, um, once it's out, I can talk to you a little bit more about why it's so difficult. But in the meantime... Yeah, it's crazy. I can't
1: I i I I can't wait. Also, there's enough there's enough uh dark minded fans out there that uh, that would make an excellent wedding gift. It'd be fantastic. Yes, Hi. we'll have to get this on everyone's
0: register. Pam, Hi, Pam. here. I I'm, Hi, I'm cutting in Hi, J T, how are you, doll? <laughs> it's oh, been I'm, a while since I've seen really you. Point. Thank it you. Has been. I'd, it's been a while since you were down This way in the Southwest For Southwest Readers Fest I think The last time it I was. saw you it was, or, it, yes, it was yeah, yeah, um I want to just say That I'm thrilled That you two are on the show I'm sitting here with a big grin on my face thinking, gosh, I wish I was a writer, but I'm also glad I'm a reader because I get I, I get to listen to you too, and I also get to read your books, which I'm crazy about. So um, we are running a little bit out of time, but I want to ask you both, starting with JT, since she's the guest tonight, um, give us a, the, a recommendation for a book to read in the time of coronavirus. Codename
2: Helene by Ariel LaHan. Just came out last Ooh, week. Good choice. It's, a, it's about Nancy Wake, who is an Aussie spy. She, well, she's a she's an Australian, but she spies uh, for the, the Commonwealth during World War II. And this chick is the most badass, I have ever read and I think everybody should be dressed up like her for Halloween I mean she's just amazing and uh, I highly recommend it it's it's very diverting
0: oh fabulous Tim um, what book do you recommend for our friends who are socially distancing but love to read
1: I would echo JT's recommendation I would also uh, since I've enjoyed this conversation so much Say that if you haven't read Google's Lie, you're doing yourself a disservice, and you should go out and get JT's book. The other book I would throw in the mix during this um, stay-at-home and read more hiatus we're on is uh, by Eric Larson, the nonfiction book The Splendid and the Vile, which just came yeah. out a little while ago. It's a it's that's it's, it's my, about.
2: On my side table.
1: <laughs> it's my amazing. Writing. I must say it's amazing. His writing is always great, and it's uh, about. Uh, the the period right when uh, England was going to war against Germany in World War II and the French had just capitulated to the Nazis. And it's close in about Churchill, and it's a remarkable book. The way he puts that together from the diaries and makes it read like a novel, it's uh, it's riveting, and it's uh, an absolute delight. And it's, it's also very it, – it puts things in perspective about remarkable times, so it's a good one.
0: You know, um, it's funny. There is six degrees of separation. I don't care what anyone says. JT, Eric Larson was just here a month ago at Southwest Readers Fest in Fort Myers, and I had the opportunity to chat with him. His line for books to be signed was the longest one. It was People were hours in line waiting for him to sign. He was That's so busy with, re- yeah, and you know Reader's Fest is so much fun. We had a lot of great people here all the time. So, um, yes, The Splendid in the Vial is a fabulous book. Mine is signed. It's sitting on my shelf on my to-be-read list. Um, now, one more thing before we call it a day. JT, give us your website and social media, please. Absolutely. So my website is
2: com, and you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram as Thriller Chick, and my Facebook is facebook.com jtellison14, and there I have a go. private literati
0: group. You should come see. Oh, yeah. We're at, Well, you know what? You're going to post that on my, on my page since I tagged you and all these things. So we can let everybody know where to find you, Tim. Give us your website and social media information.
1: Sure, the website is just timmalini which is t i m m a l e e n y dot com, and I'm also at timmalini on Instagram.
0: And Tim's book is called Boxing the Octopus. I don't want you to forget that. It's a load of it's fun wonderful. to read. It's so much fun to read and um Tim's imagination just always blows me away. At, during our interview when he was here a, a little while ago, I went and like bought the rest of his books, you know, while, while we were talking on the on the interview. Um I want to thank you both for being with me tonight. Tim, you are a fantastic host. Thank you so much for doing an interview i never would have been able to do and jt of course Dahl, you know i love you dearly you're welcome back anytime you want thank you both thank so you. very much you're welcome
1: thank you tim this is a blast Final thank, you, <laughs> thank you jt
0: you're absolutely welcome I just want to thank say,
1: you sir. yes oh i am Go just, just going to say thanks everybody stay safe and keep reading
0: absolutely podcasts and books people stay safe social distance don't go out unless you absolutely have to and if you go out please stay protected jt and tim along with listeners thank you so much for being with me tonight and thank you mom and dad i'll see you later